courses coming up in the next few weeks. Um, before uh, the coach, the bishop, comes to share the word, we have a video that we're going to play uh, for our Bless the City series. When we're laying on our deathbed, you're not going to worry about how much money you had, how much power you had, how much prestige. You're going to see that that was all game, that that was all an illusion. The only thing that's going to matter is the impact you had on other people's lives. We are all on a separate journey. But the beautiful thing about our life here on this earth is at my funeral, they ain't going to talk about my success. They're going to talk about who Nick was and how Nick lived and how Nick loved and encouraged. Success is incredibly important, but even more important than success, it's having an impact. It's knowing you haven't walked the planet in vain. It's knowing that because you've been here, you've blessed lives, you've developed people, and you have made the world a better place. The effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Everything you gain in life will rot and fall apart. And all that will be left of you is what was in your heart. When you were born, you cried while the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries while you rejoice. Amen. And amen. Isn't it great? Live your life in such a way that when you die, although people might shed a tear for you, you're rejoicing because you have lived your life well. You have lived your life to the glory of God. Good morning. I'm Roger, one of the pastors here, and I bring you greetings from Simon, our senior pastor, who's ministering at Ramsach. Friends, God has called us to be a blessing. God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. And we're on week three of, of Bless the City. And you know what's important? That you don't look and say, I've only got five loaves and two fish. That's not going to amount to anything. That you say, with the little bit that I've got, the little bit of time, a little bit of finances, a little bit of faith, I'm going to bring it. Because as I do, I know that God is going to cause it to be a blessing to somebody. And the amazing thing is, God multiplies it, and He does more than you can ever imagine as you choose to bless people, as you choose to be a blessing in this city. And you know what? As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So as you purpose, this is the paradox of the kingdom, as you purpose to be a blessing, you get blessed anyway. You get blessed anyway. I love just all the stories that I've heard this week, and I'll share some of my own later on of how people have gone out there and prayed for people and spoken of Jesus and, and helped people in practical ways. And here's some stuff that was happening yesterday. Remember, we spoke last week about blessing the city in terms of practical things and cleaning up. So don't you love that picture on the bottom left? That's Sarah James, the way she is approaching the trash that she's picking up. It's like a ninja, you know? <laughs> and uh, 
Rory, uh, Simon and Lindy's daughter, she's just like on a party, you know? So whether you being a blessing is hard for you, and this is disgusting, or whether you like having a cakewalk, can we purpose to be a blessing? Can we decide to be a blessing? Can you bring the little bit that you've got and use it to the glory of God? We are on week three, and, and today we're going to just look at the fact that people that you know, people that you love, people that you bump into that maybe you don't love, but they all matter to God. And often, the only person that they will hear Jesus from is going to be you. The only person who could possibly invite them to God or invite them to church or speak to them about Jesus is you. We need to be so careful that we don't fall into the Kitty Genovese effect where we we say, somebody else will do it, so I'm not going to do it. People that you know matter. Now imagine with me, it's the end of the day, and uh, you're waiting for your loved one to come home. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your child, maybe it's your parent. And imagine they don't come home. And you wait, you start getting anxious, and they don't come home. And so you try to phone them, and the phone is off. What would you do to bring them home? How far would you travel? Who would you go speak to to make sure that your loved one comes home? Imagine you get a ransom note. How much money would you be willing to pay to have them come home? What dark place would you be willing to go to to bring them home? What of your own shyness or fear or anxiety or distaste would you be willing to overcome to bring them home? I bet you that you would do whatever it takes to bring your loved one home. You would pay whatever you could, whatever you had, to bring them home. And you would overcome yourself to bring your loved one home. And friends, we've got loved ones who need to come home. We've got people that we know who need to come to Jesus. We just pray, Father, use us to bring these people home. Lord, we pray for them, Lord God. We pray for their souls. We pray, Lord God, that you would take them out of darkness into, the, into your glorious light. And, and we pray, Lord God, use us. Lord, anoint us. Grace us, Lord God. May we come out of selfishness and busyness. And may we, may we be used by you to bring these people home. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't know if anybody enjoyed that movie. <laughs> Taken. I don't know who you are, but I will find you. <laughs> Just something appeals to me. Whatever it takes. <laughs> We're going to make sure that our loved ones come home. Can we have that attitude? As we sang, let's bless the city. Can we make sure that as we're going out and let's go out, we're also going close by to those that we know that are just across the hallway, that are just across the office, that are just across the street from us. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to do these things? You know, people have been waylaid. 
on their journey in Waylaid, they haven't made it to God, would you be willing to do some of these things? Would you be willing to get up early in the morning and pray and have God lead you just to send a WhatsApp just to five people, a specific word for each of them? Would you be prepared to get on your knees in the morning and, and pray for their soul? Would you be prepared to, to reach out, to write a note, to buy a gift, a thoughtful gift, something small, but, but something that will speak to them? Would you be willing to follow the prompts of the Holy Spirit? Would you be willing to take a chance? Would you be willing to open up your house and invite people for a meal? And if you're not so good at cooking, would you be willing to buy a meal for them? <laughs> Or take them for coffee? Would you be willing to help out people, give them a lift? Give their kids a lift? Would you be willing to give somebody 20 rand, 100 rand, 1,000 rand, according to how much you have? You know, something that just profoundly impacted my life. I was about 22 years old, and I was in one of those valley of decisions. You know, when like, Lord, are you there? What must I do with my life? You know, one of those moments. I lay in my bed, still staying at my parents' house, and I said, God, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. What must I do? What am I supposed to do with my life? And this girl, am I supposed to break up with her or not? Not Nicola. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, I get a call. I get a call from somebody I'd never received a call from. It was Bill Bennett, the senior pastor of this church, the previous senior pastor. God spoke to me through him, powerfully. You never know the impact that you're going to have as you just reach out to somebody, as you just take the time and trouble to have coffee, to pray for them, to speak to them, to send them a message. We've got this expression called SALT, which is just an acronym for start a conversation, ask questions, listen, and then tell the story of all stories tell the story about Jesus, would you be willing to share the gospel with people? Would you be willing to tell people about what God has done? I've been trusting God the last three, four weeks for just new opportunities. And one of the things that I've done is um, I decided to change my running crew. So I've got two cool testimonies. Both of them happened at about 6.30 in the morning at the same place. One on Thursday morning, one on Friday morning. Let me tell you about the first one. So Thursday morning, I go for a run with this, this new running crew, and um, as I'm running with them, you know, week one, I'm feeling like, this is awkward, I don't know anybody. Anybody, like, join a new group, and, you know, and everybody knows everybody, and you know, like, I'm just on the outside, and I'm like, I feel like I'm wasting my time, and meet the, like, the, the main running guy, his name's Paul Teron, quite, quite, quite well-known in business circles, he takes my email address, he starts sending me you know, the daily emails, where the running is. And I'm crying out to God, God, give me an opportunity. So I start speaking to people. And then on Thursday morning, as we finish the run, he says to me, so I see that, because um, obviously he saw my email address, I see you with every nation. And uh, I was doing some research. Uh, you were his people. And he just opens up the conversation. This guy's been stalking me. <laughs> and it's like such an awesome opportunity so I get to like, yes, this is why we changed it. We wanted to speak prophetically into the nation, and we felt like there's racial polarization coming two, three years ago, and that's why we did it. And, and it was such a God moment. It couldn't have been easier. He opened up the conversation. 
And he picked it up just from my email address and I think through me praying. Next day, I'm going for a walk around Zulek with a guy that I'm discipling. And it was cold this, this, this Friday. So we stop to the same coffee shop where we ran from. And uh, as we walk in for a cup of coffee, I see this guy that I've met through Dorian. I greet him. I say, how are you? He says, no, he's not so well. So I said to him, can I pray for you? And it's right at the entrance. He's sitting on like one of those high chairs at the entrance. He says, yes. His friend like looks. The owner looks. <laughs> the guy that I'm with is like, come on, Roger. <laughs> and we had this awesome Holy Spirit moment of praying for him. And, and the guy's friend is like blown away. But God, God moved. Will we be willing to be used by God to bless this city? God wants to give you adventures. God wants to give you opportunities. And above all, God wants to touch these people. Will you be willing to be used by God and go on the funnest, most awesome adventurous time of your life? Turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to Mark chapter 2. Just an incredible story of Jesus coming home. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Some other versions say that he was at his home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. But because they had rejected him, he has now made his home in Capernaum. May it never be that Jesus moves on and makes his home somewhere else. Because we're not willing to receive him. And he's cast out a demon there, and he's healed Peter's mother-in-law, and I'd like to be used by God to heal my mother-in-law. <laughs> really. And he's come home. He's probably come home to rest. And the people hear about it, and the people start coming. Some of them are desperate, and they know it. Some of them are desperate, and they don't know it. Some of them are just skeptical. There's the teachers of the law. They're cynical. They're trying to catch him out. And some have just been dragged along, and they don't even know why they're there. And if you were to come into that village in Capernaum, and we had the privilege when we went to Israel to actually go there and uh, went to this little church upon which they built a, a Greek little church, and below that, and they did the archaeology, was what they believed to be this house. If you were to come there at that time, you know what you would have noticed above all? The crowd you would have just seen all the people, the hundreds, we don't know if it was thousands, just thronging around. And I want to say to you, the first thing that we have to recognize, if we are going to get to Jesus, if we're going to get to the house of God, and if we most importantly are going to bring people to Jesus, is we've got to get through the crowd. And you have got stuff in your life that you have to recognize it's a crowd, and it's in your way, and it's stopping you from getting to Jesus. What is the crowd in your life? 
And the first thing I want to talk about is the crowd of good but not great relationships. Those men, those women in your life that aren't helping you carry the stretcher to bring somebody to Jesus. In fact, they are getting in the way of you being that man, that woman that you're meant to be. It's been said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yes, we've been made for relationships, but are your relationships causing you to compromise or causing you to become mediocre in your Christian life? Because as your friends are, that's who you're going to become. Now, there's a term in psychology called the communication accommodation theory. And this is where you subconsciously, sometimes consciously, adjust your accent or your tone or your speed or even your vocab to talk to the person that you know. So I grew up on the East Rand. I grew up with a lot of Portuguese people. Um, Maria thinks I can't really do this. But when it's happened a few times. People talk to me with a Portuguese accent, and then I'll like, talk back with what I think is a Portuguese accent. <laughs> and my wife goes, like, just don't do that, you know? <laughs> and yet we all do it. We all adjust according to who we're talking to. All of us have a bit of this chameleon in us where we are, are wanting to adjust to the people that we're talking to. But the point is, it's not just our speech. We actually adjust who we are. And that is why it is so important to recognize who your stretcher bearers are and tie in with them and not tie in with the crowd who's stopping you from getting to Jesus and bringing people to Jesus. It says in Proverbs, bad company, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character you will become like the people that you hang out with. And you've got to ask the honest question, are you hanging out with stretcher bearers or are you hanging out with the crowd? The second thing I want to highlight to you is the crowd of media and distraction. Latest stats are that people are spending about three hours, it's, it's approaching three hours a day on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Now, I use it. I use it, and so I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying, are you being distracted from being the man, being the woman that you're meant to be? A book that has profoundly impacted me is by a guy called Cal Newport, and it's called Deep Work. And he talks about how the future economy is with people, with people who have got the ability to learn deeply and do deep work. And he wrote a book about life hacks um, called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And it's really, it's really good, good stuff. A couple of things I want to say. He said, clarity about what matters, clarity about what matters provides clarity about what does not. And we need to be clear about what matters. And you know what matters? People matter. What burns on God's heart should burn on ours. Michael Greg Barron said, if you're on social media and you're not learning, not laughing, not being inspired, or not networking, then you're using it wrong. (laughs) 
Don't let Netflix and Instagram and Facebook and these things stop you from bringing people to Jesus. That you just waste so many hours and so much time that you're never actually doing the things that God has called you to do and to be. The third crowd, and all of us face this, is that crowd of hurt and offense. They don't even know my name. They don't even thank me. Have you ever prayed this? Lord, use me. And then God uses you, and then you feel used. (laughs) We are doing what we do to the glory of God. No man will ever give you enough affirmation. We've got to be looking to God, and we have to deal with our souls. A brother wronged, Proverbs 18 says, is more unyielding than a fortified city. And so it is so important that we guard our hearts because this crowd of, of offense, we're just feeling yucky and, you know, they don't appreciate me, they don't thank me, and how could they say that or not say that? And then it shuts us down and stops us from doing the things that we should do. C.S. Lewis, the great Chronicles of Narnia fame author, he wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, 36 short chapters, 36 little letters, and it's from an old demon to a young demon. You should read it. Who's read it? A few of you. It's a great book. And he tells him, the older demon is saying, let me tell you the techniques that you must use to stop this charge of yours, this mentee, from growing in God. And he goes through all the techniques that the devil uses to trip people up. So it's 36 letters, um, each, each written by this guy called Wormwood. Sorry, Screwtape to Wormwood. And one of the things that he talks about is get the person to be offended, get the person to become hurt, get the person to become bitter because then they will become completely unproductive. They will no longer be one of those four who are willing to take people to Jesus because they'll just be in a place of woundedness and a place of hurt. Hebrews 12 says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble, and to defile many. Bitterness in your heart can grow and grow and grow. It eventually doesn't just impact you, but it impacts all around you. The last crowd that I want to speak about is the crowd of experience and the crowd of fear. So let me tell you about a bleak, two bleak moments in my life. Um, one was more in my head, and the one really, really happened. So I'll talk about the one that was more in my head. About two and a half weeks ago, I preached at the Unashamed Conference in Cape Town. And I walked out of having spoken, driving to the airport, and I was talking to Nicola and to Jesus, and I was saying, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I just did such a bad job at preaching to 500 students. I'm just like, just take me outside and shoot me. Have you ever had one of those feelings where you just, you feel so bleak, you feel like such a failure, and it's like, this is over. I know I'm sounding quite dramatic, but that's how I felt. Later on, I get this feedback, what a great word, you were awesome, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I had to preach the next day at a church just not not far from here that we're building relationship, Central Parks. And I had to preach that night at Wits. And I just felt God say to me, just get back up on your pony. You know, just don't learn the wrong lessons. And maybe you've shared the gospel, and maybe you've reached out. 
So I had done what I thought I should do, and I felt like it was a failure. But I was completely wrong. And so often we sow seeds and we do what is right, and we feel like there's no impact. But God is doing it. So in that moment of deception, I was like, I'm resigning as a pastor. Because <laughs> I'm no earthly good for anybody. But I was deceived. Don't let the devil lie to you. Every word that you speak, every kindness that you do, every loving thing, every generous act, you know, God sees and He multiplies it. He takes your five loaves, He takes your two fish, and He multiplies it. When I was um, in final year of university, well, I thought it was my final year. <laughs> exactly. There were a lot of distractions in my life. And uh, so at the end of the year, I had a spectacular fail with accounts for, which is a tough subject, you know, making excuses. And um, then I got this dreaded letter from the university. Um, it's called an exclusion letter. Anybody ever receive it? It's like, thank you for playing. We don't want you back. So in my humility, please let me stay at university. Oh, okay, you can stay, you know. And I had to study part-time that following year, and I doubled my accounting mark. I got one of the best accounting marks. This is the point. Yeah, that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> this is the point. Sometimes what we feel like is a fail, and maybe was a fail, but we can learn, and we can grow, and we can do better, and we can be used by God to bring people to Jesus. Will you push through the crowd of your disappointment? Just because somebody reacted badly to you when you told them about Jesus, will you push through the crowd of your experience and your disappointment so that people might come to know Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, probably the greatest example of pushing through the crowd is that woman with the issue of blood. And there are so many people jostling against Jesus, and she goes, I'm going to touch him. And she touches him, and virtue flows and touches her, and she's healed. Will you be that man, that woman that pushes through and says, I'm going to get to Jesus, and I'm going to get these people to Jesus? Will you have that attitude? Will you have that spirit? Because you know what? That woman had it. And because she had it, she received her miracle. Will you push through the crowd so that people might come to know the Lord? Will you push through the crowd that you would experience what you need to for your life? Second thing I want to talk about is the unbelievable commitment of these four men. Imagine, first they seeing hundreds of people they can't get there. They go up on the roof, and it's like cement, the way they did it. They have to cut through that cement. Then there's tiles. They have to lift the tiles. Then there's, there's wood. They have to pull aside you know, small wooden beams. Then they have to find a way to get past the big wooden beams. And then they have to find a way to lower this guy. We don't know how heavy he was. We don't know how far they had to travel to bring him. We don't even know if he was willing to come. <laughs> If it brings somebody to church that wasn't really wanting to come. <laughs> but they had a conviction in their hearts. And they had decided, we're going to get these people to Jesus. My question to you is, are you committed to love people 
into a relationship with Jesus? Are you committed to carry people's burdens, the, the very real stuff that people are going through? Are you willing to help out? I, I went through it at the beginning when we went through those blessed the city things. Are you willing to be kind to people and help them in their brokenness, in their need, in the realities of their life, that they might be brought to Jesus? Are you willing to not give up? You know, my paternal grandmother, Omar, her husband, my opa, mocked her. My parents, my mother and father, at that stage, they weren't saved. They mocked her. And yet she just persisted in taking me to church and praying for me. And we came to the Lord. I came to the Lord. My brother came to the Lord. My mom came to the Lord. And she just kept on. She kept on. You know, when she passed away, I could feel the difference because she prayed for me so much. Will we be those people who pray? Will we be those people who commit in love to do whatever it takes? Will we be those people who have the faith to believe for the salvation of those around us? Sometimes, you're the only one. You're the only one who can do it. You're the only one who will speak to people. Studies have shown, if you invite people to church and you actually help them, you know, like be there or pick them up, they come to church. Will we be willing to be those people who bring people to the house of God, who bring people to Jesus, who carry them in their time of need? Galatians chapter 6, and I'll read the verse just beforehand. This is such a powerful verse. It says, He who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who have the household of faith. It's an agricultural analogy. You plant a seed, you stand over it, it's in the ground, it looks like nothing is happening. But every single time we sow a seed, in faith, in God, it brings forth a harvest because God's word never returns void. So therefore, let us not grow weary in doing good. It was Charles Spurgeon who said the following, if sinners be damned, and we're all sinners, all sinners outside of Jesus, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their needs, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Can we say yes? Can we say amen? Can we be those people who reach out that we don't have people going to hell just because we haven't tried, just because we haven't prayed, just because we haven't shared? Will we make the commitments? Will we be willing to bring people to Jesus? And lastly, the consequence. What do you think Jesus, what do you think people expected Jesus to say when the roof started opening up? Anybody ever be, was anybody ever here when something fell off this roof down? Does anybody remember that? No, we, yeah, we, we worked on you at Victory Weekend. We removed that memory. It was very effective. <laughs> Imagine you're at home and all of a sudden the roof starts falling and dust starts falling. The first thing you think Jesus would say is, what are you doing to my house? The second thing you think Jesus would say is, rise up and walk. 
That's what you think, because clearly he's, he's paralytic. You think that's what Jesus would focus on. But Jesus doesn't focus on that. He says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. I love what Warren Wisby said. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. Ever. Because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. It brings the greatest blessing and has the most lasting results. You know, if Jesus had immediately healed his legs, he would have been good for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But Jesus touched his mind and he touched his heart and that lasts for eternity. May we never lose sight of this reality. We need to be born again. We need the forgiveness of God. There are people out there carrying guilt and pain, and they try hide it, and they try shop it out, and drink it out, and gym it out, and television it out. But the guilt and the pain of estrangement from God, separation from God, remains. And we are called to minister Jesus to people, that they would receive the most important thing. Those two words, forgiveness, or you are forgiven, forgiven, and son, you are my child, you are my son, my daughter, are probably the most important things that we can hear. On a graveyard, not far from here, there's a cemetery, and there's a grave, and on the headstone is written just one word, and the word is forgiven. There's no name of the person, there's no date of birth, no date of death, there's no fancy art, there's just one thing on one little stone, forgiven. But you know what? It's the greatest thing that can be said about us. Greatest thing that can be said about anybody is that we are forgiven. Jesus dealt with the man's greatest need. His need for relationship with God. His need for sin to be removed from him. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they looked at this. And because forgiveness is invisible, then Jesus said, and take up your mat and walk. Although it is invisible, this is the truth. Forgiveness, once received, impacts every part of our life. It changes our smile, it changes our heart, and it starts to leak out and manifest in a life lived to the glory of God. Everything we do, we do from the cross, not towards the cross, not trying to get acceptance from God, but because He has set us free and He has loved us and He has forgiven us. Everything we do is from that place, and it's from joy, so therefore it manifests and people see it. Can we bear this in mind? And can we bring people to Jesus? End of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. It says the following, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. You living your life for God, 
you bringing people to Jesus, you bringing the paralytic, the broken, the weak, and them experiencing forgiveness and the touch of God, not only changes their life forever, but causes blessing to come upon your life. God wants to use you to bless the city. God wants to use you with your five loaves and two fish. God wants to use you with your shaking legs and your awkwardness and, and your mistakes and your failures and thinking I've just messed up. Like I felt like I'd completely messed up. He wants to use you. Will you purpose in your heart to be a blessing? Will you cut through the crowd like that woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment? Will you make the commitment to bring people to Jesus? Because the consequence means it's all worth it. Can we bow our heads in prayer together? Firstly, I just want to give an opportunity. If, if you are here and you've heard this message that is for Christians, but you just, you're saying, I'm on the outside, and my life, my life is that mess. I'm like that paralytic. I need Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity. And know this, God loves you. And you don't have to clean up your act. In fact, you can't clean up your act. Only Jesus can clean you. But what you do need to do is acknowledge. And the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. So I'm going to ask that you do something brave. It doesn't mean you're joining this church. But if you want to come home, if you that man, that woman, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and, and you know you need to make right with God and receive Him, as Lord, and stop, you stop being Lord, make Him Lord, then come today. And I'm going to ask you to do this. So this is a sign of being decisive, saying, I want Jesus. So it's not a voice in your head, you're not sure what you're doing. Just If you want Jesus today, and you're willing to turn from your old life, and you don't know how you're going to do it, but you're willing, I'm going to ask that you lift up your hand and say, that's me. I want to come home. If that's you today, just lift up your hand. Just as a sign of saying, Jesus, I want you. Is there anybody here today? God bless you, sir. Bless you at the back. Church, can we all stand together? This is just logistics. If you lifted up your hand, I'm going to ask you to just come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to speak. And the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that comes. So as they come forward, can we just celebrate? Can we just this, this is the narrow path. This is what we all do. This is so good. Jesus wants to take the burden of sin off you. And Word of God says we believe in our hearts what you're doing and confess with our mouths. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to pray this prayer aloud. God, you are important to God, and He wants to hear your prayer. So I want you to just pray this prayer. I'm going to help you with the words. And church, just support them as we do this. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I repent. I turn from doing it my way, and I choose to follow you. Come into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. I declare you are my Savior. You are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we pray never the same. Lord, no longer bound, no longer in pain, no longer caught, but from today, Lord God, set free experiencing your grace, your forgiveness, your power, your mercy, your forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.
We want to give you some literature. Um, can you just go through those doors? Just take your belongings if you've got anything. I just want to give you some literature. It'll be about five, five, seven minutes. Can you do that, please? Church, can we just remain standing? I want to pray with you. Can we just bring those crowds that are stopping us from those commitments? Can we just lift up our hands and say, God, use us? So, Father, we come before you now, Father God, and we pray, Lord God, that the crowds of busyness and hurt and distraction and offense, Lord God, and experience, Lord God, we would, we, we would overcome them. We would press through them. We would make the commitments, Lord God, that we need to make, Lord God, so that people would come to know you, that people would be blessed, Lord God. Deliver us, Lord God, from every distraction, and may we do whatever it takes, Lord God, to bring people to your house to bring people to you, that they would receive forgiveness, that they would receive grace and mercy. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.